Hi everybody, Rob from the Hooked On podcast, How To Be Great here. Look, we enjoy doing what we do, for the love of it, it's wrestling, enjoy it, remember? But if you do feel like dropping us a few quid to help us out, be our guest. We don't expect it, but we will appreciate it. Thanks ever so much for your support. Don't forget, it's wrestling, enjoy it. everybody and welcome to the latest how to be great podcast i'm rob mcnichol and joining me any second now is my old mate showbiz paul benson whenever he dares to show his face on the channel there he is for those of you watching for those of you watching on youtube there is paul's lovely face but for you those of you listening wherever you are on spotify apple Podcasts, whatever the format may be you are all very very welcome to this how to be great podcast and it's Nitro Week here on Hooked on Wrestling, and that, as I'm sure you're already aware, uh, is going to be our topic for tonight. How are you enjoying Nitro Week so far, Paul? I'm enjoying it immensely. You know, I was I was a big fan of Nitro and WCW in that ninety mid nineties period, so it's brilliant. You know, it's very easy to, to forget how much good was actually on that program um, because it's such a bad reputation in the last few years. But in those, you know, 95 to certainly, you know, 98, there was a lot, a lot of good stuff, good good performers, good angles, good stories, and a lot of innovation. So it's been brilliant to relive it all and, and talk to people about it, some of which you are looking at it for the first time in 20 years, some of which you're looking at it for the first time ever. Um, so it's brilliant. And it continues on. We're recording as we speak on Tuesday night. Um, so we've got another five days and we've got so much content to the point where I, I can barely fit it all into the social channels, which is a <laughs> lovely problem to have. The guys are working very hard on some really unique stuff. So, uh, yeah, uh, when you listen to this, please do check it out. Hooktonwrestling.co.uk. It's all there. We've got it on our features section. All You go features and find the Nitro Week tab and it's all there for you to see and it will be forever more. So check it out. The good thing about Nitro, what you just said there about there was some good stuff, some bad stuff. I think whatever your opinion is, even if you never watched a minute of WCW Nitro or whether you watched every single minute and have gone back and watched it five times over, there is always something to talk about. There is always an angle, always an opinion, always a topic. And whether it's supportive of Eric Bischoff being the greatest genius in the history of wrestling or whether it's critical of the higher ups or whether it's about a certain angle or a certain wrestler or whatever it is, there's always something fascinating uh, about WCW Nitro in particular. I think the, the first year or so um, before Scott Hall turned up and changed the world, um, you know, bringing in the NWO a few weeks later, that first year is an interesting case topic. You know, some of it was new and um, innovative. Some of it was, you know, five, 10 years past its prime. Um, the role of Hogan, all sorts of things yeah. that uh, play in, not to mention what happens later on there in the run, Thunder. And it's, 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 it is one of those, there's a reason why books have been written, uh, stories have, have been going on and on, and it's why we're still doing it. People often talk about the influence that ECW had whenever there's a hardcore match, you know, chance of ECW, etc., like that. But the influence that WCW had is still just as powerful uh, and warrants a good look. So, yeah, enjoy Nitro Week, everybody, looking on the website. And as Paul said, if you're listening to this uh, deep into the future, uh, then it will still be there for you to go back and have a look at. It's uh, 
one of the beauties of this format. What we're going to be doing today is having a look at who is Mr. Monday Nitro. That sounds a little bit like a, a Rob Van Dam tagline, doesn't it? But um, there's there's quite a there's a fair um, few people that we can suggest that it, that it could be. So very shortly we'll be getting onto that topic, explaining what we mean by that and how we're going to decide. But what we normally do, folks, is we take a topic, whatever it might be, from the world of professional wrestling, uh, and we decide. Paul and I decide uh, the top five, our top five that go through to a vote, which is then over to you to click on uh, whichever your favourite is, uh, hookedonwrestling.co.uk forward slash vote. It should be at the bottom of your screen any second now if you're watching on the video feed. So, yes, we'll provide the five. You go away and vote, and you decide what is the top one from our quintet. And that is what happened two weeks ago. We've had a little break for a week because we were very, very busy last week uh, following our huge SummerSlam spectacular. But two weeks ago, we asked you what was the greatest wrestling match of the 1990s on SummerSlam. That's correct, isn't it, Paul? That's right, mate. Yep. That's what is the one. great... I don't think we just said 90s, actually. I don't know what I'm talking about. You got me on to 90s because of your uh, 90s <laughs> podcast. And it was, a, it was the, greatest, it was pay-per-view of the 90, greatest pay-per-view of the 90s the week before. We asked what is the greatest match in SummerSlam history. That's Let's get it right. What was That's the greatest the match in SummerSlam history was the topic from two weeks ago. We came up with a five, but this is always the exciting point for me because I don't know the winner. I think I've got a fair idea of what it will probably be, but I never know what the winner is. The man that does know these kind of things, he is the equivalent of uh, of R. Graham from uh, from Blind Date or various other voices of God on different TV shows. <laughs> He's the man that knows. Paul Benson. I'll take that, mate. I'll take R. Graham any day of the week. So, what's your guess? What is your of the five we put forward? What would have been your guess? Well, it was very topical at the time. Um, I'm not saying it would necessarily have been my answer, although I think it probably would have been my answer. Um, it was building up to SummerSlam. We did so much about Brett and Davey Boy. You know, we've had the anniversary of that. We had the uh, wonderful features with with uh, British Bulldogs family on oh, our yeah. SummerSlam Spectacular. To me, I think that's going to be the choice, especially when we have a predominantly British audience to this podcast in particular and to the website, although we do stretch all over the place. Hello, wherever you are watching or listening. Uh, we'd certainly found out during... Uh, SummerSlam, how many people were watching all over the world. But we are still a predominantly British website. Uh, and so I think that British, let's say bias, is probably going to take us down Brett versus Davey. But I have been wrong plenty of times before. There's a little twinkle in your eye, Paul Benson, that says I might be again. Let's see. Well, no, no. I suppose the twinkle in my eye was really to say that I would fully agree with you. I think that's, okay. that might that would be my choice as well. So um, it's a really high standard, first of all, isn't it? There's, there's no real wrong answer on this one because the five matches we picked were absolutely sensational. Well, it's and worth pointing different. out, isn't it, that we knocked off the podcast with us coming down to this five was a, a marathon effort. Oof, and we, we, really? we knocked off a dozen amazing matches. So there'll be in a minute, Paul's going to name five and you're going to go, where the bloody hell is Brett versus Mr. Perfect or various others? And we're going to go, well, that's how good the standard was. Well, quite, quite. So um, on that note, so fifth place was the unsanctioned match between Triple H and Shawn Michaels. Got no. barely, barely a vote. Wow. Um, normal rule of thumb is you have a wrestling poll, Shawn Michaels wins. Um, yeah, often the yeah. variations, Bret Hart wins on ours, but no, just nothing, barely anything, barely enough to register on the scale for those two. Fourth place, a few more votes, but not many. Um, John Cena versus Daniel Bryan from 2013. That was in fourth. Okay. Bear in mind, worth noting that in the history of this poll, uh, this podcast we've been doing, 
this was the third most popular poll we've done. So out of all the ones we've done, this is the one, you know, in terms of number of votes, this is third in um, in, uh, in that number. So, and in third position on the poll with uh, with 22% of the votes, Bret Hart against the British Bulldog. Third? Third, not even a quarter. Wow. Not even a quarter of the votes went to Bret Hart and Davey. I was gobsmacked by that, mate. Absolutely gobsmacked. And what gobsmacked me even more is the winner. So the winner, obviously, we'll come to number two. I know, but you Mm -hmm. give second, you give away the first. Um, So the winner with 45% approximately of the vote was CM Punk versus Brock Lesnar from 2013. An an incredible match with two of my favourite performers ever. But would I have thought that would win? Not on your life. I would have probably put that, if I was guessing, if I was asked to sort of place the public's vote, if I was asked to anticipate what people would vote for, I'd have probably put that fifth. Certainly no higher than fourth. Um, and then obviously in second place, for those that listen to the podcast itself, John Cena against AJ Styles from 2016 with about 30% of the vote. So a real topsy-turvy uh, result there, mate. Not what I was not what I was expecting at all. Fascinating, but we've been we've been surprised by that before. Um, you know, we've had uh, things like who we asked who was the best ever tag team performer, didn't we? And Terry Gordy won with my to my, with my yeah. delight. Um, we had the best manager and wrestler combination, and, and the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette won. Now we're not expressing surprise at them winning folks because they're not good choices. Whenever we do one of these polls, all five are good choices. It's just a case yep. of ranking those. And yes, I, I mean, listen, I adore that match between CM Punk and, and Brock Lesnar. If I was doing my own personal list, I would probably have it third in that list. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as you say, in terms of people, what they vote for, I think I, I think I may have assumed that Brett Bulldog and Sean and Triple H would win purely because of the fact that some people tend to be a bit down on John Cena and Brock Lesnar and therefore wouldn't vote for them. But Me well too. done, everybody. I I say this most weeks, but well done, everybody, for being a, a uh, you know a very knowledgeable and you know very knowledgeable group with a good appreciation of what goes on, and not just blindly voting for what everyone always votes for. I would have voted for Brett versus Bulldog. I would have expected it to have won, but I'm certainly not mad at the winner because I think it is a great, great match. And if you haven't seen it in a little while and you're thinking, oh, bloody hell, how's that even got on the list? Go and watch it because it is a stormer. It's a really great match. It's right in, would you say, Brock Lesnar's sweet spot. As in, mm. when he first came in, the booking was a bit weird, losing to Cena, losing to Triple H. And over the last couple of years, it's been a bit quick match, formulaic match, finisher, 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 kick yes. out, kick out, kick out. But in that little area, when he was wrestling Punk and a couple of others, I think that's when Lesnar was doing his best work. So I think that kind of figures. Yeah, I agree. So that, to be honest, that match was kind of the start of it in terms of exceptional work and it rolled through to the streak and a little bit afterwards, there was that brilliant triple threat match at Royal Rumble, wasn't there, with John Cena and Seth Rollins. Um, and then obviously when Suplex City became a thing, that went completely to shit. Um, it'd be really interesting to see what Brock Lesnar's cumulative match time is, actually. If you look at the last five years of Brock Lesnar in ring, what's his cumulative match time? And compare that to his first, say, two years back, and what it was then, I, I bet the two years beats the five by a million miles. It's probably worth uh, worth looking at. Sure, someone can do that for us and, uh, and send we, it in. I, I could do that. There's not that many matches to go for, is there? No, it's not like, not like we're going to go through a lot. So there was a couple of um, a couple of John Cena matches on that list, wasn't there? 
Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think he was the only person to appear twice. So there will be nine different people, correct, that we've mentioned that uh, would have yes. appeared on. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Nine right. different people. Of those nine people, how many of them appeared on Nitro? <laughs> three, uh, I think. One, three, three. Um, three, yeah. No, sorry. I'm, I'm like absolutely right. Three. I think because. I don't associate the bull. I don't associate the bulldog with Nitro, but I think he appeared on. Did he appear on the show? He oh, certainly was a WCW at one point, multiple times. Yeah, when he left yeah, after so the uh, screw job, he, went, he was there with Jim Neidhart for. Of course, he was. A couple, so, a couple so, of years, a couple of years. Then oh, in fact, that's when he that's when he got injured again, wasn't it? Um, yeah. So yeah, so Davey was on it a little bit. Brett was on, obviously, with a bit of a fabled uh, poor run in '98 and '99, and uh, Mr. Styles was uh, snuck in there a bit. He did. He had precisely one match on Nitro. Um, in the Who's against? It was him and Air Paris tagging. Uh, and I forget who they were facing, actually. Um, Not good enough. I forget. Was it the... Um, I don't know, by the way. But you're the one that wrote an article this week about the, uh, the <laughs> 10 people that you... <laughs> weren't sure that it, 10 people you might not have realized who were on nitro so i was going to the uh the person that had done the research but to be fair everybody paul's had a very very busy couple of weeks i'm not patronizing him but he's had a lot on his plate for a couple of weeks so uh we'll uh we'll, we will let him off on this occasion it was just my little segue into saying who is mr monday nitro i don't think aj styles and his one tag match that paul can't remember quite qualifies uh to Possibly be that not. man Certainly, I would say that Bret Hart is probably not going to get a run in that because of how mismanaged he was in WCW. Neither would Davey Boy and neither would lots of others. But there are lots of good contenders uh, for who would be Mr. Monday Nitro. A couple of uh, little qualifiers at the start. First of all, it sounds a little sexist of us saying Mr. Nitro as opposed to saying who was the face of Nitro, who was the main person on Nitro. But let's face it, we're talking about an era from 1995 to 2001 where women's wrestling, women on television broadly, but women on wrestling, you know, specifically, was not much of a thing. They were secondary. They were pushed to the back. The wrestling was not very featured very much. There was a lot to do with eye candy, specifically later on in the 1990s. That is not our fault. We are analysing a certain period in time. And quite frankly, if we were, I don't like to say this, but if we were politically correct and we made sure that there was at least one woman on the list, it would be very, very difficult to justify them above lots and lots of other men. That is, the, that is the fault of the era. That is not the fault of this podcast. So before anyone starts writing in and suggesting it's a bit male-dominated and uh, biased, that's just the way it is, folks. Secondly, we are talking about Nitro here. We are not talking about WCW and its entire incarnation. I think it was about 10 years, wasn't it, from when they did the, the name show? I think it was 1990, I think, was when they officially went WCW. Yes, so about 11 so. years or so of the branding, about 10 years of the WCW title. Lots of different things, but we are talking Nitro. We're talking about the Nitro era from uh, September 1995, hence why we're doing it now. It's the 25th anniversary this Friday, September the 4th, um, until the end uh, in, was it March, April 2001? So that is our specific time time area, and we are talking about the television show itself. So not pay-per-views, not Thunder, not Worldwide, not anything like that. What well, other shows do they have? Was there any other WCW shows that I've forgotten? Um, WCW Saturday Night would have still been going Saturday at the start Night of the Nitro era. On, yeah, that, well, that was going very quite a long way into it, actually. Yeah. Um, that was pretty much it, though, wasn't it? It was. So our focus is specifically on Nitro. 
our criteria. Well, we can take it wherever we want to. It's up to us how we define this. Does it, is it the best wrestler? Is it the most important person? Is it the person we most associate with? Did they help the brand? Did they hinder the brand? It is up to us uh, to make a decision on that. And I am going to invite you, Paul, because I've done a lot of talking so far, to give us our first list. Who is the first person you would like to discuss as we talk about Mr. Nitro? Mr. Monday Nitro. Well, where should we start? There's obviously so much to go at. Um, and I'm I'm always one to not start with the obvious, but I'm going to start with one of the obvious ones on this one. And I'm going to throw out the name of Sting. Okay. Okay. So Sting was an interesting one for Nitro. He was around for the whole the whole run of Nitro, literally. In fact, he had the main event against Ric Flair on the very first Nitro, and he had the main event against Ric Flair on the last Nitro. Uh, and he was there for the you know very, took very little time off. Now. What he did have was a massive transformation. So what you the sting you got on that first episode when it was surface sting as he's become known with his bleach blonde hair and his colourful tights and his colourful face paint looked very different by the time sort of 1997 rolled around and we got the avenging angel, the crow sting, um, the, the thorn in the NWO side. And then from there they morphed onto, morphed him onto uh, Wolfpack sting, which I guess was a bit of a, a bit of a combination between the two, really. I know he looked like a red. It was like when you're playing Street Fighter 2 and you both pick the same character. Um, <laughs> and, and Sting, Wolfpack this Sting. Is, this is a way kit. Yeah, when you when you press start instead of the A button to select your character and you get the alternate colour, and that was Wolfpack Sting. But in, in terms of personality, he was very, very different from that from that Crow Sting. He was, he was, more, he was leaning much closer to, to the surfer. So he kind of went back. Um, and then from there, he was a bit, you know, been all over the place. But he is the guy. Like you made, you were, you made pains, Rob, to say Mr. Nitro rather than Mr. WCW. Now, if you were doing w, Mr. WCW, Sting would be an extremely strong contender, and I would suggest he's a very strong contender for Mr. Nitro as well. Especially because some of the best Nitro moments, some of the best anticipation in that, certainly in that early NWO era, um, was him coming in and. Uh, not even getting in the ring, you know, certainly not for a match, but, you know, being seen in the rafters, repelling from the rafters, pointing a bat at people. Sting built the most suspenseful character on Nitro that year without stepping foot into the ring between, what would it be? It was, how long was oh, it gone? It was, about a, it it was like, about a year. It was, it was all, well, it was, wasn't it? It was August or September 1996 that he left. And then he didn't actually get back in the ring until Starcade. So match to match, it was over a year. But has any character ever been built that well without having a match? The answer is no. No. The answer is no. There's no debate on that one. They did a phenomenal job. And, and you know, outside of the NWO, that is um, that is Nitro's biggest triumph, what they did with Sting. And, yeah, they squandered it. And yeah, it didn't work out anywhere near as well as they wanted. But, oh, my gosh. No, you were watching it then, weren't you? Just watching to see what Sting would do. Um, and what a triumph that is. If you can get someone watching two hours of Nitro just to see what one guy will do for a minute and a half at the end, then job done, pat yourself on the back. Let's all go out for uh, some nice cocktails. I think the fact is, you know, you're, what you're saying about the, the the long gap and the being the best build, you're, you're so right. Um, and it's the fact you just said, oh, it's, you know, it's outside of the NWO. It's absolutely not. It's absolutely linked inextricably yes. with the NWO because that was the whole point of the start was 
you know, the first five, six, seven weeks or so of that angle is the NWO claiming Sting's in their team. Not fake Sting, you know, that angle, but after he'd gone off in a different way, they did say, you know, Sting is with us. And they dressed in black and white. And the announcers said, well, maybe he is with them. And he attacked a couple of baby faces. You know, he attacked a couple of yeah. people that were not NWO, and so it looked like he might be with them. Then there was the leaving the bat for them, whispering in the ear. It was slow, and it's the complete antithesis. It's not an easy word to say. The complete antithesis of so much in wrestling over the last 20 years about not metaphorically blowing your load really early, but waiting and waiting and waiting. Do you think Eric Bischoff had, had Starcade 1997 in mind from the start? Probably not. But I oh, love the I fact just, that he I kept holding on. He kept holding. No, I just I just suspect he never had a specific end game because he probably thought at the start, I'll, I can maybe get this to last six weeks. But what he did brilliant. Oh, right. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. No, 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 sorry. I don't mean six weeks. I mean six months. I was. He probably had an open-ended. We'll do this for quite a long time. Then we'll blow it off. But I'm sure even Eric back then was not able in his mind to go. I think we can get sixteen or seventeen months out of this. You know, you just you just can't believe that something will change. Sting will be unhappy. Hogan will be unhappy. Ratings will bomb. Something will change. But he right. didn't. He held on and he held on. And I would say he just kept on teasing, kept on teasing. But he got it right. It didn't go too far either. It got just to the right point. And those moments where Sting finally did come down and point the bat at Hogan and go after him and laid waste to the NWO. That, that's what the people wanted to see. There's a certain amount of NWO getting cheers, cool heels, fine. But when Sting finally went after them and when Sting finally got his, you know, got his win, I know it's a bit iffy. We'll talk about that on another occasion, I'm sure. But it meant something. Do you know what I mean? And it was meant something because of the delay and everything. And it meant something because of who Sting was and what he represented to the brand. You're quite right. I think if we did Mr. WCW, I think there would only be two options. And I'll talk, I want to talk about the other one next. But while we're still on Sting, we are specifically talking Nitro here. So a few things like, you know, the, the Starcade wins and, and, and certain things like that being involved in the Bash at the Beach match, that all plays into his WCW thing. But when we're specifically talking Nitro, I think he's still very, very important because not only was he wrestling in matches, you know, throughout the first year or so before we got to the NWO, but you, as you said before, he was one of only a couple of people that was on the first Nitro, was on the last Nitro, but he was also relevant almost all the way through. Some yeah. people had their time where they were away for a little bit or were down the card or not involved in certain things or whatever. But Sting was almost always relevant. He was that franchise. He was that hometown guy. And you always knew you had Sting. And I, and I think so many of his moments are on Nitro, seeing him up in the rafters, confronting people. You know, I think it's, you know, it's, it is his, it's kind of his show. At the very, very start, when Nitro starts, it's about Hogan because of you know him being the biggest star in the world. But yeah. the first one is, but all the way through, the most solid all the way through is Sting. And I can't imagine he wouldn't make our list of five. I can't imagine so either. And even in, even in the start, you know, a lot of the dramatic heft for those first few you know months of Nitro were the feud between, well, not the feud, the sort of the partnership between Sting and Lex Luger. Um, and now that weird face heel dynamic where they were friends and they had Randy Savage coming in and Hulk Hogan coming in and the four horsemen. And really Sting was kind of the anchor for all that. Like, so, you know, everything before the NWO 
maybe you know it sort of petered out towards that middle of '96. But Sting was Sting was vital, and then vital beyond it as well. I think, yeah, I think it, I would you know, obviously we'll talk about a few more names, and we never say definite for, for well, we, we don't often say definites for for very many people. But I'd be gobsmacked if Sting gets knocked off. Yeah, me too, to be fair. And given that we're saying that at this stage, uh, I think it's got a fair chance. Right, I'd like to move to someone else next. That I think if we were doing the face of WCW, who do you most associate with the brand of WCW? I think it would be Sting and this man, and that would be it. Um, yeah. I think that uh, it's going to feel like a natural choice to a lot of people. It's someone else who was on the first Nitro and the last Nitro, wrestling Sting. Um, and that man is Ric Flair. You can't yeah. have a WCW discussion uh, of any sort without Ric Flair factoring in where he fits. But I'm not convinced that Ric Flair will make this list. Okay. Now, he is undoubtedly important to the history of WCW and important to the history of Nitro. But we're trying to find the top five here, not just the people that qualify. This is not a golf major. This is not people, you know, making a cut and it being a certain amount of people. We only need five. And I just, I can see, we've got a few names to come on to, but I can see a few other people sneaking their way ahead of Ric Flair because although he's enter- always entertaining, always reliable, there's times where Flair was away and came back. There's times where he was, had a bit of power. There was times when he didn't. There was times when he was champion and times when he wasn't. Sure. But Flair was not the focus. For 10 years before Nitro started, apart from obviously when he was in the WWF, when was Flair ever not the man? Nope, very true. Flair was the man throughout the 1980s in the NWA and then at the start of the 90s, whether it was with Steamboat, with Funk, with Sting, and then in 1994 with Hogan, it was always Flair. But from 95 onwards, everything you look at, he's not quite a main eventer. He's just underneath it. He's, I'd like to know how many main event pay-per-views Ric Flair was in from 95 onwards. I don't oh. know the answer. But I bet it's not all that many compared to a lot of people. He's always around. He's always good. He's always entertaining. But if you take him out of Nitro, this is what we're looking at, really, I suppose. If you take Sting out of Nitro, it looks so different. If you take Flair out of Nitro, it looks different. But I don't feel like it crumbles around your ankles. Um, no, obviously, that's that's true. I'm, I would I would probably slightly disagree, and I not massively so, admittedly. But I think Ric Flair suffers by your argument suffers by his own greatness. I yes, agreed. Few, I think there's going to be a few guys that we talk about in the coming weeks. Uh, sorry, coming weeks uh, during the course of this podcast, where they were an integral part of Nitro, but as mid carders. And, you know, I don't necessarily think that just because he wasn't in the main event sort of does Flair a disjust, an, un, an injustice against anything apart, apart apart from his own high standards. You know, he was the guy, like you say, in the 80s and the early 90s, and he just wasn't in the Nigeria, but he had a hugely important part to play. You know, that again, in those first few months of Nitro, he was integral, you know, before the NWO came in. He was champion just before. You know, I know he lost it to the Giant just before. We then flipped it to Hogan, but he was the champion then. He had the feud with Savage at that point, which was a massive feud that played out primarily on Nitro um, during that time. He, you know, he had the famous 
fire me, I'm already fired promo, which is one of the top five moments in Nitro history. Um, and did a lot, you know, towards the end, it obviously went a bit weird. He was doing all the comedy stuff with the insane asylum and his son, and which went a bit off the rails, as did WCW as a whole. But I, I think he probably did a lot more than you think. He, he wrestled a lot on Nitro. Well, how many matches did Flair wrestle on Nitro? We've got the stats, haven't we? Um, 92 matches. Obviously, in about the top 20 in terms of matches. That's quite a lot, you know, and a lot of those were quality matches with guys up and down the card. I'd, for me, Ric Flair goes in in pencil. Um, well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a fair way of putting it. I would, I would say that, uh, and I know you don't mean this, um, but, you know, quality, quantity of matches is not necessarily, a, you know, an, an overly significant point. I mean, Ric Flair had the same amount of matches on WCW Nitro as the Disco Inferno did. True, but he, I would say of the 92 matches that Ric Flair had and the 92 matches that Disco Inferno had, I'd say probably 91 of Ric Flair's meant more. Um, than the and I think you're being kind to Disco Inferno. <laughs> but to be fair, my, my point was I know what you mean. But I'm just saying it is not an argument to say, you know, if, for example, you know, Disco had wrestled 157 and had wrestled the most matches on Nitro history, he still wouldn't get on the list. Do you know what I mean? Because you've got to mean something and you've got to appreciate that. There will be fans that are out there. It is it is it is one of lots of different. Yes, uh, it is a criterion of several criteria. And it's (laughs) thank you. It is. It's okay. Um. And I just think that it's it's just worth noting. Listen, I'm not down on Ric Flair in terms no. of his WCW career, specifically his Nitro career. He's important. He's on the list. You know, I'm, I'm bringing him up early because he's absolutely someone to talk about. And I think he'd definitely, definitely be in the top seven or eight. It's just mm-hmm. whether or not we might have to put a couple of people that are above him for various reasons. Because what, what to me is it's a little bit like... I'm going to a football analogy. We're just before the half hour mark, but it's a little bit. Ric Flair's Nitro era feels a little bit like he's Spurs. Do you know what I mean? Right. He's always yeah. there. He's always yeah. in the top yeah, yeah. six, but he's not won anything. He might yeah. won a League Cup, but it's like, do you know what I mean? So having a US title match against Conan and whatever is winning the League Cup, isn't it? It's not. It's not getting. Oh, okay, he got to the Champions League final, but he lost it. Do you know what I mean? It's like there's. It doesn't feel like, but you know, Leicester City are almost more important in the Premier League era than Tottenham Hotspur, even though Leicester have not even been in it every year, but they won it. And they're the one of the, they're perhaps the biggest story of the Premier League era. You can't tell the Premier League story without Leicester who have been top of the league once had one or two other good seasons and have been largely rubbish for the rest of them. I know they won the league cup as well. Not knocking Leicester, by the way, hi to all our Leicester supporting fans. I know we've got a couple, but um, it just feels to me that there'll be some people that weren't necessarily on the whole stint of Nitro that maybe are only on it for a couple of years, but their impact was so great that they'll get they'll get onto this. Whereas Flair is almost like he's at a constant seven and a half to eight out of ten all this time. Has has he done enough to be so significant other than just being Ric Flair? Well, I think in about an hour's time we'll have found out. Um, <laughs> That's optimistic, yeah. isn't it? Uh, it's a time limit. Yeah. <laughs> let's um, let's uh, move on. You mentioned the criterion of number of matches of, on Nitro. So why don't we talk about the guy? And this is going to be an interesting one, I think. Um, let's talk about the guy who had the most matches on Nitro. Um, let's do that. Give, give everyone so, 30 seconds to just have a little guess on their own. Who do you think okay, have, have the most matches on Nitro? That's who we're going to talk about next. This chap we won't give them had, too long. 
this chap had 157 matches on Nitro. Uh, I'm going to give you a couple more seconds. He was bought, uh, he was he was there all the way through. I don't know if he was literally on the first Nitro, but he was definitely on the last Nitro. Um, he was certainly in the company during the first one. Was, I don't think he was on the show. He certainly wasn't wrestling he was on the, the show. Company. Definitely in the company by then, absolutely. Um, to put you out of your misery, uh, it's Booker T. Booker T was... Um, had the most matches in the whole history of Nitro, the 157, which is a remarkable statistic, not a surprising one. When no. you think about all the things he did, you know, there were certain guys that appeared most weeks on Nitro, Hogan, uh, primarily amongst them, but didn't wrestle very often on Nitro. In fact, he had about half Booker T's match on Nitro, which I thought would have been less than that even. Uh, but Booker T had 157 matches in various different guises. And I would argue that no one, on that roster between the years that Nitro aired, 95 to 2001, nobody on that roster showed more growth with the potential exception of Diamond Dallas Page. But the difference being, I think, that Booker T went from that fantastic tag team wrestler, and he is one of the greats, you know, it's very easy nowadays to forget just how good Harlem Heat were. Oh, um, tremendous. Tremendous tag team. But then he went from that to lower mid-card singles wrestler, having those wonderful series of matches over the TV title with Rick Martel and with Chris Benoit um, and with other people I'm sure I'm forgetting. Uh, then he moved up to US title level, um, having matches there with uh, with the likes of Scott Steiner and Raven and guys like that. And then ultimately became a main eventer towards the end of Nitro's run and a good one, a really solid main eventer as well. You know, And he was, you know, Obviously, the quality of his opponents wasn't the best when he got all the way up there. You know, you're talking a really roided out of his mind, Scott Steiner, allegedly. Um, you're, talking, you're talking Jeff Jarrett, who was, you know, arguably not really cut out for that main event level in a company that size. Um, it wasn't the best in terms of a, a, a gallery of opponents. Goldberg. Um, but he was wonderful. And obviously, his success in WWE subsequently you know, just showed how good he was. Like, cause he more than held his own there. He was, he was treated as a big deal, treated as a big deal from the day he came in and left as a hall of famer. So I think that Booker T is someone that really deserves serious consideration. What say you? I mean, I agree with so much. I don't agree with what you just said about Scott Steiner. And I would like to remind everyone that that was Paul's opinion. And he is the owner of Hooked on Wrestling and therefore is liable. Uh, <laughs> I said to that, any... that gets me off, doesn't it? Uh, absolutely not. Um, read your media law book. Um, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm fairly confident I'll be okay on that one. I think you. I think if I think in a court, I think you'd get done. But I think the likelihood of it getting brought up is quite low. Um, anyway, let's move on from that. Uh, from, from various <laughs> different <laughs> issues on that particular front. Um, from what you're talking about, I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting story. If you look from where Booker T came from and was in tag teams, was arguably the better one of that tag team worked his way up, gained the fans credibility, won some, you know, secondary level titles and then became the top man in the company. I really would say he's probably the only other man in history uh, to have been, to who could have claimed to be another Bret Hart. And he is literally the only other person in history that's ever done that. And no one else can be considered for such an accolade. Um, but he certainly would be in my mind, the Bret Hart of WCW. Um, I'm not such a big Booker T guy myself personally I've never really got the act um mm, even the King yeah. Booker stuff was a bit too ha-ha for my liking but the point is as I often say on this show wrestling is not about me 
it's about what the people say and what the people want. And there's undoubtedly so much love for Booker T still to this day. Um, yeah. He's still got a job. He's very, very well liked in the industry. Um, and he certainly put together some very, very credible work in ring and just felt like someone, didn't he? He always felt like someone. Booker T is one of those, you know, Kevin Nash has this story, doesn't he, about, you know, if you if you can walk through an airport and turn someone's head, you know, that you're halfway to being a wrestler. And it's like, yeah. Booker T does feel like he's someone. You know, he's got this air of being a, a star about him, and he is one. Um, and certainly, again, if you look at the story of his throughout WCW, you're so right, Paul. It, there's a narrative. There is a Booker T in 1995 to Booker T in 2001 narrative. You could tell a brilliant story of those six years and how he changed, developed, won, lost, came back. I absolutely could not envisage a Nitro without Booker T. And in fact, one of the criticisms of WCW, and it's a very, very, very valid one, that's been put forward by people like Chris Jericho and by various others, there was that you had no upward mobility in WCW. You were where you were. You had a caste system and yep. you lived on your level and you never went up and you never went down. Well, I think Jericho is right on his front and he's right to talk about him and him, you know, and Benoit and Eddie and Ray and various others, but it's not true as far as Booker goes. Some people could argue it's because other people fell by the wayside, but I don't think that's fair. I think, WCW did have a problem with promoting new talent. Absolutely it did. However, that does not mean it, their record is zero. And you mentioned Page, we'll come on to him. But I think Booker is absolutely their best success story of a homegrown bottom-to-top hero. I don't include Goldberg in that. We'll get to that. Because Goldberg's story is very, very different. But in yeah. terms of someone that was here and went there and there and there and the fans went on the journey... Booker is one of probably two people you can talk about. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, he was the guy that they chose to hold the two singles belts. You know, Nitro WCW finished in 2001 in March and they had uh, they had Booker ride into the sunset with the US and the world titles. Um, that wasn't an accident. Um, I, think it, I think it was, I think his journey was phenomenal. And, and crucially, a lot, of it did, a lot of it did happen on Nitro yeah. as well. You know, you know, a lot of his early stuff... Um, Certainly, that's the start of his um, of his singles journey, where he really put in some truly great work. Uh, was was all on Nitro, and I think that unquestionably WCW clung on to their main eventers. Um, you know, arguably the same mistake WWE are making today, um, but they clung on to those main eventers long past their primes in a lot of cases, and really stunted the growth of some of the younger guys on the roster, which led to guys like Big Show and Jericho and others, you know, departing where they perceived to have more chance. Um, Booker almost feels like, you know, it almost feels like they had a couple of guys that they sort of tied their flag to over the years just to say, look, we can do it. We can do it. Now we'd have to do it again for another five years. Yeah, well, um, and like, you know, the, the only ones I can really, oh, Goldberg, again, we'll, we'll take Goldberg out of the equation. That's a completely different story. Different beast entirely. But, um, you know, the only real three I can think of are Booker, DDP we mentioned and Scott Steiner um, in those Nitro years. Yeah, but even then Steiner was, you know, it, it, because the way that tag team wrestling was, particularly at the early 90s, you know, Scott Steiner was essentially a main eventer in 1990, 1991, because the Steiner brothers as a tag yeah. team were so massive in that world. You know, when you think about, you don't think about the LOD as sort of scrapping their way from bottom to top, do you? 
You know, no. and the Steiners, the Steiners were at that level. The Steiners were main eventers as a tag team. True. And so they did, but the but Harlem Heat were not. And so, you know, that is, that's the difference in terms of that story. That's a fair shout. That's a fair do you, shout. Do you want to go there next? Do you want to do Steiner next? Because he's part yeah, of this. Let's, let's, you know, I think this might be a quite a quick discussion um, on Steiner, but a valid one nonetheless. Um, I guess it's like, I guess it's sort of everything we've said about Booker, but a little bit less relevant. Um, his, his, his in-ring work was good, but a little bit less good. His journey, like you said, he was that bit further up um, when Nitro started, so he didn't really have the same journey, so to speak. Um, and I don't think he quite reached the heights that Booker T did. But for a brief moment around the turn of the millennium, Big Papa Pomp was awesome, wasn't he? Just like, you know, the guy you absolutely love to hate. Um, and he really was. He was never on the level of the, the you know, the Hollywood Hogan's and the big heels, but he was good. You know, he was, he, he made a lot of sense as a main eventer in that time in, at Nitro and, and, and made the most of it. I think he's, for me, he's in the top 10, but he's not in the top five. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think I sort of think of him as a, as an, as an important figure towards the end. And this is something else we have to address in this is that Nitro in 95 is different to Nitro in 97, which is different to Nitro in 99, which is different to Nitro in 2001. The places that the company were at, either uh, rising or plateauing or stagnating or dropping or really dropping. And I think there's a little bit of a stigma of Steiner, which is that the era in which Steiner is on the top and is figured as a main eventer and a really, really important part of the company doesn't feel like a good era, does it? If you think of all of no. the, the top eras, like where does Steiner fit in in the NWO story? You know, he's well, in it. Why? He's in it, but he's not right up in it, is he? Do you know what I mean? When you, when no. I, if, if we were to say, who is Mr. NWO, which we won't be doing, by the way, folks, that's too meta a podcast even for us. But if we were to do, who is Mr. NWO, after talking the original three, you would still talk, you know, Bischoff and Big Show and, well, not Big Show, The Giant and yeah. Six and Sting even and Savage. And you, you'd say so many others, really, you know, before you got to Steiner. So um, I think where I Steiner just, came in in the NWO storyline was obviously associated with Buff Bagwell, but really it was when they splintered off into sort of a presence rather than a group. And I guess I would say Scott Steiner was kind of the NWO's top guy in the upper mid card. But he was never really sort of involved with those top tier storylines, and it worked. But it just, you know, just is what it is. Actually, I think going back to if we were doing Mister WCW, he'd play in much more because of how important yeah. the Steiners were earlier in that decade. Yeah, and right. again, there's a certain amount of to begin with the Steiners living off of their earlier reputation, similar to what we said about Flair. Um, Credit to Scott Steiner for reinventing himself. You can say what you like about Scott Steiner. Not my cup of tea, okay? In terms of his wrestling, in terms of his very brash, did he go off script sort of persona. But that's just, again, my opinion on what I like. You absolutely cannot knock him for changing his outlook, for becoming a brand. It's quite, I think it's a, an admirable thing to be a, 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 a tag team guy 
that can then switch to a, a singles guy and change yourself along the way. Like we often mention Bret Hart as being the the blueprint. Actually, Bret Hart's not a very good example because Bret Hart tag Bret Hart is pretty much the same as singles Bret Hart, just without the anvil. But Sean is different, partly because he turned heel. But Rocker's Sean is different from HBK. And there are various other wrestlers that have gone from being the tag guy to the singles guy, but they've undergone a change. And fair play to Steiner, Scott Steiner, for being a tag team guy for so long. But you don't think of, I don't think of Big Popper Pump as being the same as Scott Steiner in my head. Absolutely, absolutely not. And it was almost a, as if the change was overnight, wasn't it? Because like, you didn't really notice how big, how much bigger Scott Steiner was getting in the Steiner Brothers. Um, but he was. And then yeah. suddenly he was a heel and everything changed. And it was like, whoa. Hands down, in my opinion, the biggest physical transformation overnight that a wrestler has ever gone through. Certainly a, a recognisable main event wrestler who, you know, you, you've, you've known Scott Steiner for years and years and years. But then when he went and did that, I think I think he might have had the blonde, short, cropped hair for a while um, in the last few months of the Steiner Brothers. And then it just went completely off pieced when he changed to Big Papa Pump. So massive credit to him. He, he, he became a different character overnight. Uh, not quite enough for me to, to carry on, carry him on forward here. No, I don't think so. I think the, the nearest I can think of as someone else that's done a similar sort of thing, at least doing it in, in WWF colours, maybe um, Fatu. You know, that sort of well, fat, head shrink of Fatu to, to Rikishi. Same, same, but you it know? was, you know, he was off screen for a long time, wasn't he? Whereas yeah, he did go, Steiner, that's true. He went away and came back, whereas Steiner was more of a... Months and months. Steiner, yeah. Steiner was week to week. He did it under our very yeah. noses. Um, yeah. So that's what I mean by that. I don't think, I can't think of anyone who's gone away one week and come back the next week just so completely different. No, maybe Emmalina. Maybe Emmalina. Maybe. Mm. Should we burn anyway. through a few? Yeah, go on. Let's, let's, let's smash through a few that we think that would be worthy of the chat, but probably not going to be top five. You go first. Go on, then. All right. Um, Lex Luger. Mm. Oh, God, no. I disagree. Oh, okay. I'd be, th- I'd be thinking about Luger being in my five. Oh, okay. Go on. Let's hear it, then. I just think, first of all, you you mentioned earlier on about some of the biggest ever Nitro moments. You talked about Flair. You can't fire me, I'm fired. That Four Horsemen, you know, thing. You know, Luger showing up on the first ever Nitro is such a big moment. It's such a big, massive, out-of-the-gate statement. We got Lex Luger. I think it was eight days before. I think sometimes it's promoted as being the day, but I think it's eight days before he was appearing in the main event of SummerSlam. Wasn't wrestling in it. Yeah. But he was interfering in it on behalf of Diesel, who was the champion. Yes. So Lex Luger was thought of as being important enough to the WWF to be featuring in their main event. Eight days later, he's on Nitro. Just think of that. That is the equivalent, you know, of, you know, someone such as, someone like Roman Reigns being on AEW next week. No, it's not far yeah. off. Reigns is probably a little bit higher in WWF's reckoning than Luger ever was, but it's not a million miles away. Or maybe Strowman. You know, maybe maybe Braun Strowman being in I AEW that, next I week. That's, that's probably example, a better one. Saying, yeah. yeah, I was going with someone that interfered in the main event rather than being, you know, someone that wrestled in it. But in terms of a peer, I just, you know, imagine Braun Strowman being on AEW next week. And you, it is um, that would be amazing. Uh, maybe Brock Lesnar will be. Is he a free agent? Look at hookedonwrestling.co.uk for more details. Um, but 
it's extraordinary to have, for that to have happened. And, and it's such a massive story. But this, here's the thing about Lex Luger. He has this reputation of being hard to work with. That's from, in, that's from inside the business. I can't comment on that. He has the reputation of being a bit of a flop because there are lots of times where he challenged for a world title and lost. Incidentally, folks, that's not Lex Luger's fault. That's who's booking him. Okay. Of course. Not. You know, if you script it that way, that's how it's going to go. He has a reputation of not living up to his reputation in WWF, which he didn't because of the whole bringing in as a narcissist thing, turning in baby face, trying to be the new Hulk Hogan, Lex Express, blah, 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 blah. I'm not saying Lex Luger is a great wrestler or ever was a great wrestler. However, with good opponents, Lex Luger could have a good match. And in terms of character work, from the in the first two years of Nitro, Lex Luger's the best character on Nitro. He's awesome. You're, you're he absolutely is right. fantastic. The nuance Luger can act. By the way, he might not be able to wrestle in some people's eyes. Again, I think he's better than people give him credit for. I'm never going to say he's a. In, in you know, if Luger wrestled in modern terms, Luger could have been a bit of a Cena. You know, he could have gradually learned with better opponents, with more focus on work rate. There's a bit of a parallel there. Luger's a great actor, great com, uh, great character. There's so many little twists to the Sting Luger story that Paul mentioned earlier on. Is Luger a heel? Is he not? Then when the NWO thing comes along, it's teased a little bit more. But he's captivating viewing. He's an arrogant so-and-so, but he does virtuous things. You don't know quite how to feel about Luger. And you're waiting for him to turn heel, and he doesn't quite do it. Mm. Obviously, once you get into the NWO years, there's so many twists and turns and ups and downs, it's hard to keep track of a character. But I think Luger was always reliable during that era. You're talking about the most matches you said about um, Booker T on 157. Well, Luger is second with 150. And by the way, the next person is on 132. So there's only two, only two people ever made 150 um, matches, and one of them is Lex Luger. Luger was around from the, from the very first Nitro. I don't, I'm not sure how close to the end he, he, he worked, but it's pretty close. He's on the last one. Yeah. He's therefore pretty, you know, um, you know, box to box, coast to coast. I think if Booker T is in the in the reckoning, I think I have Luger and Booker T fairly together. Oh, mate, when you're wrong, you're wrong. And I, I can honestly admit I've dropped a clanger on this one um, because everything you said is bang right. And I don't think you even mentioned two of the most important parts. Nitro 100, the, the biggest Nitro event to that, to that date. Who was chosen to defeat Hulk Hogan for the WCW title on the landmark episode? There you go. Lex Luger. Who was who was the guy? And I know this is a bit kayfabe, but it, it does it does matter. Who was the guy that beat Bill Goldberg to take him out of WCW? Lex Luger. Um, so yeah, mate. What what can I say? Like I, he was always he, around, and he, and he, some people just never ever, you know, f- their faces the, their faces don't fit in the eyes of the fans, in the eyes of history, in the eyes of the narrative. But, you know, to go back to football, Lex Luger is the unfashionable defensive midfielder. He is Gareth Barry. He is Gilberto Silva. You know, yes. he, he is the he is he's not quite Claude Makalele because people you know love a player like him. But he is the kind of the hardworking player in the team that just gets on a done to be slightly kinder. Perhaps he's a James Milner, but he's that sort of player that just works hard, plugs away. And there are always, there is always a part in football where things aren't going so well. And the fans have a scapegoat. It's always happened with England. 
you know, it, it, at one point it was John Barnes. At one point, can you believe it? In the build-up to Euro '96, it was Alan Shearer. It's been Darren Anderton. It's been it's been Raheem Sterling. Not that long ago, fans have always got someone that they want to pick on and want to have a go at for some reason or another. And Lex Luger would be that footballer if he was a footballer, and he's that wrestler. He doesn't deserve to be. Well, yeah. What what can I say to add to that? He's uh, he's. He's there, isn't he? Now, as a correction, he didn't wrestle on the last Nitro, but um, Sean Stasiak did. So what sort of measure is that? Eh? He was still in the company, though, I think. And I think he was. I think, he was. Yeah, I think he was still around. Did, did, did Vince mention him in that famous Vince going through might, people's names? I think he might have. I think it might have been him and Jeff Jarrett, you know. They were the ones that got a little bit of the uh, – got the bird and uh... – he yeah, really he did. I'm just I'm just reading it now. Actually, you you mentioned Hulk Hogan, Lex Luger, Buff Bagwell, Booker T, Scott Steiner, Sting, Goldberg, and Jeff Jarrett. So, there you go. Okay, I've made a fairly impassioned plea there. But what we were doing before that was we were about to go through people that we think would be honourable mentions. Um, since you tried Luger, I'll 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 go with one that I think you might rebut. Okay, <laughs> I would on. have as an as an honourable mention. And a very honourable mention, by the way, because he is, well, he's still a great wrestler. He's still very important um, to the world of wrestling. And when we first saw him back in around about 95, 96, he was revolutionary. But I'm not quite sure he gets onto our five. What about Rey Mysterio? Oh, yeah, mate. I'm definitely calling a, calling a flag on that one, as they might say in American football, or dropping a flag or whatever you want to say. Yeah, mate, Rey Mysterio was never troubling the main event in WCW, was he? He was. He had the occasional match against the likes of Nash, the Giant, um, some others, you know, Ric Flair. He had a main event against Ric Flair in that um, one of those outdoor Panama City Nitros. But what Rey Mysterio did was, to me, he personified the elements that Nitro got so right compared to Monday Night Raw, which, you know, you talk about Nitro being innovative, Harry Bischoff being innovative. And one of the things he saw to set himself apart was putting those not just great workers in the lower card to keep people's attention, but new types of wrestlers that the most most of the wrestling fans in North America hadn't seen before. Rey Mysterio, to me, is the poster child for that movement. You know, there's a, there's a bunch of them that deserve credit. You know, moving to Guerrero, Psychosis, La Parker, um, various others. I don't include the likes of Guerrero and Benoit and Malenko in that because they were you know, very much North American style wrestlers. But these guys were absolutely sensational. And I would say Rey Mysterio is as responsible for putting Nitro on the map as as but you know as as anyone but a handful of people. You had the main event. But and people came stayed around for the main event. But the reason they didn't flip over to WWE. WWF as it was then, obviously for Raw, for an hour and a half of the program, because they wanted to see Rey Mysterio and they wanted to see the crazy shit that he'd be doing that week that they'd never seen before and building on what he'd done last time. What Rey Mysterio did is keep people in to Nitro for the most important parts of the show and help Nitro become such a juggernaut. Rey Mysterio was the foundation, you know, like you know. If you want to look at it in car terms, you can you make all sorts manner of cliches. You know, he was the engine, he was the the gearbox, whatever. I'm not in, I'm not a car guy, so I don't know. But whereas the NWO and Hogan and Sting and everyone were the, the hood ornaments, as they say in the states, Rey Mysterio was the uh, was the absolute workhorse. And 
he, he to me personifies everything that Nitro was different about uh, to WWE and to Raw, and he's um, he's he's in the he's in the shakeup for me absolutely. I think my my issue is, and again, we're looking for an elite five here, folks. I think my issue here is. I agree with almost everything you said. If I know everything you said, you didn't you didn't put a foot wrong there with everything you just said about Rey Mysterio. Hugely important to the company, hugely important to North American wrestling, full stop. You know, worth noting that I in my head still see Rey Mysterio as being a WCW guy. Right, okay. You know, you know the way that some people are, you know, ECW guys no matter what they did afterwards. I yep. still kind of see in my head, Mysterio is a WCW guy, whereas he was there for, what, five, six years? And sure. the company's been gone 19, and he's been with WWF for, you know, probably 14 of the last 18 years, you know, give or take a couple of uh, breaks. So, you know, he's very much, I'm sure he's done way more in WWF than he's ever done in WCW, but I still kind of think of him as a, uh, as a WCW guy. So I, I, I see where you're coming from in a lot of ways. But I feel like the cruiserweight division was important to nitro you know if we were to break our own rules would we uh, you know allow the cruiserweight division to be mr nitro in the same way that you might say that the x division is you know is mr tna is there anyone in the x division that counts obviously there's people that have come out of it like styles and whatever but the x division is the x division rather than the stars and i sort of feel like that about the cruiserweights it felt like it was a little bit interchangeable. This is not to blame the talent, but just the way it went. The cruiserweights were the ones that were thrown out there and asked to do their job. And I also think that perhaps the theory about the cruiserweights holds even stronger for the pay-per-views as opposed to Nitro. Nitro being more storyline driven and more Mm. what's going to happen with the NWO, what's going to happen with these people. The wrestling, important, but not as important. On a pay-per-view, which is all about wrestling, you needed those stars to go out there. And I would say most of Rey Mysterio's best moments would be his amazing pay-per-view matches with certain people. You could argue that the most famous Rey Mysterio moment on Nitro was getting thrown (laughs) into the side of a a, a building by Kevin Nash. I know you're going to say that. I do disagree, by the way. I think that... I'm not um, sure I agree either, but I'm saying you could say that and i think I, I don't i don't have a big list of great ray mysterio nitro moments i think mm-hmm. he was a consistently wonderful performer for all of those five or six years and he still is he's done some amazing work in the last month that's almost fair, the point isn't it that's fair play to his lad it kind because of when, is but it's also when, when we're gonna have, when we're gonna nail down nail down a five I just feel like I'm going to be able to come up with five people where I can say that is more important than anything Ray did. You may well be right. But I think what Ray did, you're right, he spearheaded that cruiserweight division for me. And it wasn't really about having memorable... When you say memorable moments, you really mean sort of storyline-wrapped moments that, you know, stand the time. Whereas Ray Mysterio's moments were probably ones we can't recall, but we'd still go, holy shit, if we saw them at this time. And that, when you think about the TV habits and the viewing habits and the whole sort of atmosphere surrounding the Monday Night War, how important was having a guy that people wanted to see do crazy shit? It was like the equivalent of having, you know, you know, stunt guys, you know, crazy stunt guys doing weird, you know, when they're the ECW lot doing hardcore stuff in the late 90s in the WWE. 
it was WCW is equivalent. You know, you weren't following them for the story; you were following them for the athleticism and uh, and the innovative uh, Mexican move set that blew everyone's minds. So I don't think that really matters. I think I think we're both. I think we both just let's just see how this one goes. I think he's definitely in the argument, but I do agree he's not a shoe in. Okay, uh, save the cruiserweights, Dean Malenko. Yeah. <sighs> Just no. Like, Dean Malenko's a really good performer, an, ex- an exceptional in-ring wrestler, um, and was a great foil for a lot of guys on Nitro, but that's all he was. He was a foil, and he was around a lot. Um, I don't think there's any argument to say Malenko's close to the top five, other than longevity. Anyone else that you wanted to um, throw in from what you were saying before about that honourable mention category? I think there's a couple. I think um, I'd, I'd put, probably put Buff Bagwell in there. Um, who was in, you know, he was around for a long time. He had some really interesting moments and did some decent stuff, but he's not troubling anybody, is he? I wouldn't have said so. I wouldn't no. have said so. And I suppose the other one I'd want to say, and kind of regrettably, I suppose I'd, I'd maybe have him in the conversation for me, but objectively, I don't think he is, but Raven. Oh, wow. I never thought about that, but okay. Raven, you know, to me, Raven was such an, you know, look, I know it sounds superficial, but when you think about the video games that WCW put out during that time, you know, who was on the cover of those, those games? You had the likes of the Giant, Hogan, Goldberg, Kevin Nash, and Raven. That's pretty much the list. Maybe Sting, if I, rem- I don't remember. But that was pretty much it. Raven was in that company, and that means something. You know, that means that somebody thought of highly enough of him to be a, a face of WCW to people that don't watch WCW, primarily a gaming audience. But more so, he came along at a time when the NWO was dominating everything and and Raven was different. Raven was a, an act completely unto himself. Did he ever interact with the NWO ever once? I don't think so. I don't think he ever had anything to do with it. He must Could have done at some point, but you, I take your point. Nothing important. Yeah. And what he did and, was prevent... And a guy like him wouldn't. The character no. wouldn't be bothered by them. Wouldn't, wouldn't care. Wouldn't care. But wouldn't want to fight them. Whole, wouldn't be impressed by them. He led a whole different tier, a whole different division almost um, of what Nitro was at that time. And it was really good stuff. Like he, he you know, he had a storyline with the, with his flock going on that let's, for, let's not forget birthed a decent number of stars, you know, not only himself, but that flock uh, allowed Perry Satin, to to come into being uh chris canyon to a lesser extent probably the biggest one of them all in terms of wcw at that time was billy kidman um he was also probably wcw's number one mid-card gatekeeper so when you've got an act like a booker t or a diamond dallas page or goldberg getting primed for that main event they came through raven and he was, and he put on some fantastic matches. Then you add in the tag team stuff he did with Saturn um, against the likes of uh, Benoit and Shane Douglas and Dean Malenko and all those guys. Raven, I'm talking myself into this. Raven was a really big part of Nitro for a few years. And um, and I, on a personal level, I loved watching him every week. And, you know, I, I, watched, I was aware of what he did in ECW, but really only from the magazines. And I was intrigued by the character. But 
and I know obviously the WCW version of Raven, what Raven wasn't as cerebral and as intelligent and as nuanced as that ECW version, but it didn't matter to me. He was, you know, they were painting on a bigger canvas with broader brush strokes, and Raven adapted to that new environment. And I thought he was just wonderful. Loved Raven in WCW. I've seen people say in the past that Raven simply wasn't a WWE character. There's there's certain aspects of his character that it just didn't fit, blah, blah, blah. Bollocks, by the way. Absolute bollocks. The reason that he wasn't anything in WWF is because Vince had binned him eight Mm -hmm. years earlier for being Johnny Polo and being too short. And there was no way Vince was going to push to the top a guy that had been big in two other companies, let alone one. Right. Every now and again, you get someone like an AJ Styles that gets through. But AJ Styles isn't a character, is he? Just a great wrestler. Sure. But Raven was a concept. There's no way Raven gets the. If Raven had been a joint effort of Vince McMahon and Scott Levy in 1994, it would have been. He would have never left WWF. He'd still be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's he's. You know, if he'd have stayed off all the uh, the nonsense he put into his body and stayed under the know. WWF. No, I think that's true. He's admitted it. I'm, I'm so kidding. I'm joking. I, I can get away with. You don't have to say allegedly when someone's admitted it. But you know, people often say Scott Levy is one of the great minds, you know, in wrestling. One of the most intelligent men, understood everything about character, about production, about all sorts of things. It's a real shame that in the biggest company that there's ever been, he never really got the time to shine, other than being a a bit of a throwaway hardcore champion. Um, a few others really quickly, and we'll all try and do them quickly, because they're, but they're still big names. Um, Eddie Guerrero? Hmm. No. No, Again, he's, really. he's, he's, he's almost like... I think he fits in a similar chat to the Rey Mysterio thing, but Rey goes above him because Rey was more innovative, more different... You know, Eddie, talk, reliable, great performer. No one's ever knocking Eddie Guerrero. But again, there's so few important things that he did in WWE. After they they established him brilliantly, they got him from nothing to here amazingly well over his first couple of years. Right. And he never went any higher. Back to the he conversation was, about Booker T. He was an Aptomag favourite, wasn't he? And, you know, I remember reading about how he was the biggest undiscovered talent and Clearly, that was true because we saw we saw what we saw later on. But yeah, you know, he did he did some fun stuff with the LWO. He had some fantastic matches, most notably mm. with Rey Mysterio. Yeah. But when you say Mysterio is thought of as a WCW guy, unquestionably to me, Eddie Guerrero is a WWE guy. Agreed. Every everything he achieved as a top tier talent and unleashing that potential, the massive potential he had as a performer, was achieved under WWE, who managed to get that look. That character that he had, that charisma, that was there all along. You know, that that sort of stuff doesn't just appear. You know, that was in him when he was in WCW, and they failed to get that out of him. And obviously, it's a failure of WCW, not Eddie's, because it was there. No. Um, what so often happens is that, that because other people had a slight gimmick change, they go into one chat. But Eddie deserves to be in the same chat. And I'm talking Triple H. I'm talking Mick Foley. And I'm talking Stone Cold Steve Austin, who were all, who were stunning Steve, Cactus Jack, and, you know, what was he, John Levesque or wherever he was, or terrorizing. Uh, Jean-Paul, um, Jean-Paul yeah, all of those characters, right? They changed in WWE. WWE changed them and gave them something new and they went off. Eddie Guerrero was Eddie Guerrero. Yeah. 
but they, but they breathed new life and they opened it up. But in terms of the magazine favorite, the one that was everyone knew was good, was held down a little bit, and then went to the WWE to shine. Eddie Guerrero is the second Steve Austin, you know, in terms of the no, you question. know, in terms of how that went. It's just that Austin is sort of about different. I know he had the Steve Austin, but stunning is different to Stone Cold. That is a different character, and it's, it might have the same name, but it's a different character, and. Eddie wasn't a different character, was he? And, and I think that's why he's, he's left out of that. But yeah, for me, all-time great, but not in WCW. Um, the Giant. Not not really in things long enough. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because he had... Huge in the first two years. Yeah, then tailed off. Leave, like, leaves too early to be really thought well, of at that level. I think he had a year, didn't he, where he was on, you know, he was kind of on his decision had been made that he was going to leave and he just stagnated for a year. So it was almost like he was again in football terms, he was he was almost training with the reserves um for a year. Not quite that drastic. But he didn't he didn't do a lot. He had sort of silly styles. Brilliant in the first couple of years when he was coming up through the ranks and he was the mean, nasty giant and won the world title on a couple of occasions. Certainly just before the NWO came in, but no, like the the longevity wasn't there to to consider him. Deserves huge credit for how good he was so early. When you go back yeah. and look at 1996 and realise that he's got no experience, um, and he's in such an important position and holds his own. Okay matches, good promos. He, he did brilliantly for himself, but he's not anywhere near this list. I wouldn't have said. Nope. Uh, Randy Savage. On it for me. On it for me. I did a I did a column today on Hooked on Wrestling that's due to drop probably the same day as this podcast drops actually. But it was essentially the ten unsung heroes of uh, of Monday Nitro. Savage was on the list, which seems odd considering how prominent he was, how many title reigns he had, how many main events he had. But he was never quite given the credit he deserved. You know, if someone needed to be moved out of the way in the main event to make room for a celebrity or a big star or whatever, it was savage. If someone needed to be to to get the get the ball rolling in terms of putting a story together and, um, and making a making a something happen in the main event, he was there. But then, as soon as Warrior came back or Piper came in or whatever else, Savage was bumped back down. And you know, how many more how many more main event how many other main events should I say? You know, would be equally as happy main event in a pay per view with Hulk Hogan and you know going down to the mid card to face Big Bubba Rogers um, mm-hmm. in a throwaway match. He was the guy, like, and he, you know, what what he did that people don't really think about is he knitted all of those main event talents together. You think of the wonderful stories that Sting and Lex Luger had in the early days of Nitro that Hogan had. Savage was always there because he was such a powerful personality that he was able to bounce numerous foes and allies off of him in a realistic way because he was you know so magnetic as as a heel as a baby face and also when that wcw main event scene was severely severely lacking in quality um in in ring ability to hold it together as well as the stories savage was there and savage could always be relied upon to do that he was the guy that got new stars over, look at DDP for one, look at the guy who was at tasked with making celebrities look good. Randy Savage was one of the low-key, most important people in the history of WCW. And for me, firmly on this list. When you consider the era, 
part of what you have to talk about, and again, I'm, I'm specifically talking about Nitro. So we're talking mm. about the head-to-head -head battle, and what has to be discussed is the um, not so, the celebrity factor is not the word I'm looking for, but the the fame, the fame factor of people that know a little bit about wrestling, but not loads. People that have watched it a little bit, but have fallen out with it. People that have never even seen it, but have heard of certain people. There is an era of every sport where you might not have watched cricket, but you know who Ian Botham is. You've never mm. watched darts, but you know Phil the Power Taylor. There might be certain people, you don't watch horse racing, but you know Frankie Dettori. There's certain people that you're, you're familiar with. And you know what? I think of that era, they might not know him if they walk past him in the street, but I think people know the name Macho Man Randy Savage. Or at least All they right, did yeah. in the middle, in the mid-90s to late-90s, in the way that they don't know John Cena now. Oh, and I they don't know Roman Reigns now. And they don't know Chris Jericho now. Sorry, Chris, and I love Jericho to pieces. But I don't think the... Unless you watch Dancing with the Stars in America, I'm not sure he's crossed over. It's because wrestling was very different in the 80s. And so people like Roddy Piper would be well-known and, and Macho Man would be well-known. And I think when people were flicking the channels and saw Macho Man Randy Savage, they'd go, oh, I wonder what he's up to. Yeah. And as good as Lex Luger was and as good as Rey Mysterio was and Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit and whoever else, I think Savage had that combo of being someone that they could stop and watch. But if you stopped and watched some people, you'd go, eh. And if you stop with other people, you'd go, bloody hell, I've never heard of him, but he's good. Savage had both. Yeah. He had the ability to stop you flicking through the channels because he was the macho man. And then he could back it up. And again, I like him for this chat because of, of how nitro he is. There was oh, almost yeah. always a story regarding the macho man. I always say when you go back to Scott Hall's infamous debut promo, if you ever thought that that was real, there is one tell in that that, it's, that it is not real. And it's when he goes, he goes, where is the Nacho man? He goes, that punk can't even get in the building. And it's like, that is a total storyline moment. You know, the, the storyline at that point was that Savage was so mental, he wasn't allowed inside the building. So if you ever thought Hall was telling the truth, well, why did he, why did he acknowledge a storyline? Do you know what I mean by that? And it's like, mm, yeah, yeah. But, but Savage was always relevant. He was mentioned several times in the most famous promo in, Raw, in Nitro history. There was always something going on. And you're right, he was reliable. I think he straddles this thing. A couple of times we've talked about people that were there the whole time, but how much did they do that was important? Other people that were, weren't there very often, but they were massively important. I think he straddles the line. I don't think Savage is involved in any of the, the most important things in Nitro. That's not Bash at the Beach. The most important things on Nitro. But he's involved in so many of, so many that are important and did such a good job doing them I don't necessarily think of him. If you say start naming WCW Nitro people, I don't go to Savage quickly. But he is, if I if I argued Luger, I think you have to argue almost everything the same for Savage. Well, he is my favourite professional wrestler of all time. And that means you're slightly um, biased on the situation. And it does mean I'm slightly biased. but I, I Because would, I'm not I convinced that Savage is going to be in my five. But I do think he is absolutely a live contender. And I think he would be above a couple of people in my mind that other people will think are shoo-ins, but in my list are absolutely not shoo-ins. One little start I do find it interesting is that, you know, Randy Savage feels like the workhorse of main event and everything else. And 
He actually wrestled less times on Nitro than Hulk Hogan did. Uh, is that right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah just two, by, by, two, a, by, a, by a couple. By a yeah, couple. I find that I find that really interesting. I would have I would have suggested Savage was comfortably above Hogan. Well, maybe that's uh, just um, just the way that we think. But but you don't have to wrestle to be important. You know, there were lots and lots and lots of weeks where Savage was. You know, we, we we talked about Sting for Christ's sake. We talked about Sting being non not wrestling for, you know, sixteen months or whatever it was. There were plenty of times where Savage was away for some reason or not allowed in the building or it was just some sorry storyline thing. So, mm, yeah, I think he would factor yeah, in on all those. Uh, is there anyone else that we need to run through? I don't think we really need to get too much into. Um, Double J or Kidman or Jericho or uh, yeah. anyone like that. Um, right, There's let's a couple go. More we need to go too quickly before we finish. Right, let's let's do Benoit. Benoit. Mm-hmm. Um, no, 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 not for. Um, I'm, he's not. I'm not. I'm not. Certainly not snorting at the idea that Benoit's Mister Nitro, but. He's kind of sits for me somewhere between a Booker T and a D Malenko. Um, you know, has a lot of the qualities for both of them, um, but never really broke through to a great extent. No, I, I no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have. No, no part of me thinks that Benoit should be in the top five. Hundred and thirty-two matches, um, third yeah. only behind Booker T and Lex Luger. Um, yep. Champion, champion towards the end, absolute mainstay. Uh, but there's plenty ahead of him. Uh, DDP. Uh, yes. In short, he he was the he was the the you know the main foil for the NWO, wasn't he? Really, from the start, and um, massively, massively over. Really came from absolutely nowhere in the pre-Nitro era. You know, he was that stupid cigar chomping you know i think you've said before he wears about ten thousand different gimmicks i might be bruce pritchard i might be confusing the two of you um <laughs> i think i'm a bruce pritchard actually but hey um but the point is he he was there and he grew and he was a, he, he did the face thing he did he was a heel much more effective than maybe people remember um yeah i'd stick i'd stick page in a conversation definitely i think he ought, ought to be i think the parallels earlier on were what we were talking about with, uh, with Booker T. Um, yeah, definitely. The, the being there almost all the way through the rags to riches nature of it. Um, the connection with the fans. But again, I feel like DDP is a nitro guy, not necessarily a pay-per-view guy. There's important pay-per-views he's on winning the world title, wrestling, you know, celebrities and whatever, being involved in big, big things. And again, folks, we're not judging about how good um, the matches with Jay Leno or Dennis Rodman and Karl Malone are. That's not what we're about. All right, they're, they're pay-per-views and not nitros. But even generally speaking, we're not always making a judgment on how good things were, but how how important these people were to the brand. And I just think, Paige, you just associate him so naturally. And I think there are moments, there are nitro moments, there are promos, there are you know reactions from the fans, there are stories. I always feel there was something going on with Paige. And I think it started really from the fans taking up for him in 96, where he was just having ordinary mid-card stuff with with Guerrero and, and others. Um, but the fans just seemed to roar. from They'd hear Paige's music, which wasn't even particularly amazing music, and they'd roar and they'd go, brilliant, we love this guy. And it was almost like, they've, 
not done anything with him to make you love him, but they just wanted to watch this, you know, man in his late thirties, early forties that had been barely wrestling. And they just took to him. And it's, I think it's a great story. It was a massive connection, much more so than Booker T in terms of raw fan connection. I think Booker T was, you know, the better body of work in every single facet. Um, but in terms of, you know, fan appeal, Paige was ahead. I feel so, like the day, the day that Paige won the title meant more than the day that Booker won the title. Yeah, but... Yeah, no, you, sorry, there was, there's no but there. Yes, mm. it did. Absolutely. Agreed. And again, that might be on the pay-per-view. I'm not, I, I get that that's something different, but a lot of those bills, a lot of those things, a lot of those character moments felt like they were they were nitro-based uh, to me. Uh, right, we need to get to some um, big heavy hitters. Goldberg. Yes, Goldberg. It's a shoe-in, isn't it, really? Um, it's very difficult to not have anyone like him because of the fact that, I think, because what is the first thing you think about with Goldberg? And I think right. it's the streak. Of course it is. And the, and the streak was born on Nitro. There are pay-per-view matches in it, but it's born on Nitro. It's the debut. It's him ignoring Mean Gene. It's this, this guy that you didn't know smashing up. Who was it? Hugh Morris? Smashing up Hugh Morris. Yep. And then just going through wrestler after wrestler. All these guys you were familiar with every week. Goldberg smashes through them. Goldberg smashes through them. And there are great moments. Of, I think wasn't the match with, you mentioned Raven earlier on. Did he beat Raven for the US title? Or it was something to do with the flock anyway. Yes. I think that was might that have been was on, on pay-per-view. Was it? I thought it was on Nitro. Um, it could have been. I'm not sure. Um, could easily have been. But whether it was or not, your point is absolutely valid. Or the majority of the good stuff he did in that rise to the top, including winning the world title from Hollywood Hulk Hogan, was on Georgia Nitro. Georgia Dome, Nitro. It, it's the biggest moment in Nitro history. And there's nothing nothing else really comes close. No. Argue arguably the biggest moment in the Monday Night Wars. You know, the, well, the biggest single moment in uh, on either show. The biggest one week than the other week, because obviously Finger Poker, you know, um Finger Poker of Doom comes into it as well. You know, and it's that there's you know, there's all sorts of, you know you know, different levels of it. But again, that's important. Don't forget he's in that. You know, it's not him in the match, but he's in no. that angle. Yeah. Um, regrettably so, for him. Yeah, yeah, I know, but I'm, again, it's still, in, but it's still a massively important Nitro moment, shite though it may be. It, that's still involved with Goldberg. It, that is inextricably linked with him. And I'm, again, I'm, I'm very keen to say that, you know, if we were doing a Mister, you know, whatever company it was, it wouldn't necessarily be the best person. It would sometimes be the one that you just link with it. Do you know what I mean? Right. Look, the, the fact is, once Goldberg got established midway through that streak. He was, you know, Nitro was hitched on his back, um, and he carried that program all the way through, for better or for worse. You know, not all, certainly not all the, through the good, but he was the absolute totem pole in a way that WCW hadn't had in the Nitro era before. He'd had all these great heels, and WCW NWA was a heel territory, wasn't it? But I would say, arguably, for the first time, they had a modern, homegrown babyface badass and um and it was what the fans wanted then and he was he was you know before that in the nitro you had sting having a bit of it hogan savage ddp all sort of having a little turn luger in the main event in that face role goldberg came along took it nobody took it back the thing i always mention about wrestling that i i, I think people overlook is that there have been 
many, many thousands, tens of thousands of wrestlers over the years. How many of them in a modern era, I'll, I'll say like in the WrestleMania era, how many of them have drawn money? And I mean, turned heads, turned companies around, sent ratings through the roof, sold tickets. It's about five, right? It's, it's just, I'm not saying that people aren't important to the industry, but I'm saying ones that have actually gone, people have said, I want to go to the arena to watch that guy. I want right. to put my TV on to watch that guy. And it, honestly, it's basically about four or five. It's Hogan, the NWO as a concept, Austin, Rock. But Goldberg's in there. And by the way, Sean's not in there. Brett's not in there. Cena's not in there. They're not, Cena, they're not in it. Cena's definitely in there. No, he's not. Not for yeah, a is. massive... No, he's not. He, for longevity and being the tentpole of a company. But Cena is Sting. Cena never came out of nowhere and changed the world. No. But he's absolutely someone that they've relied on for a long time. And so was Maybe. Brett and so was Sean and so was lots. But I'm talking absolute top, 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 top megastars that have turned things. Flair's not even in there, right? I'm talking about for the... It's a, it's a different way of thinking. It's not that they're not important to the industry, but it's someone that people have gone, I have to move heaven and earth to watch this guy and to buy tickets to see this guy. And Rock. I mean, I, I only think it's Hogan, Austin, Rock and Goldberg. That might be it. John Cena changed a whole audience makeup as a WWE. You know, John Cena... It didn't Cena. shoot up. It didn't start making big changes to the... They didn't Imagine start selling they... out arenas. They didn't start going through pay-per-view rates. They didn't start having massive TV ratings. It didn't change massively with Cena. He's hugely important turned, over a long period of time, but it didn't turn things. I'm not even including turned, The Undertaker did. in this. It did. It's like, it it's turned, just, it didn't though. It, it turned the company into a family-focused company. Kids wanted to no, see it changed the company Cena more than anything. And they, he sold tickets to, to kids and families. He sold merchandise by the absolute bucket load. He allowed them to open up a whole new audience. We, we, this is a WCW podcast, so we really we should. That's a change, though. That's a change. He, he t- also turned people off. He also turned people off. There so are people that don't watch wrestling anymore because they didn't like John Cena. No one's yeah. not watching wrestling anymore because they didn't like Steve Austin. They were going. They were going to go anyway. If John, well, Cena maybe, but Cena did not make things take off in any sort of way, and he did not, you know, make suddenly make people interested in something. Goldberg did, well, and I'm not a huge okay. Bill Goldberg fan. But in that in that era when WCW was doing what they were doing, the NWO had got them to a level, and Goldberg took them to another one. And very, very few people have ever done that. Yeah, no, I, I'm in full agreement. Um, Goldberg is is firmly, firmly, firmly on this list. And that is why for me, and I was like, I'm, I've never massively been a a huge fan of his work. He's not someone that would have made me, you know go and watch stuff like that. But you absolutely cannot deny the impact he made. He is just, it's again, it's, a, it's another story that's not been told as much as it should be because WCW were the losers. And because the WCW narrative is Bischoff and NWO took them up and various different WCW snafus took them down. And that bit in the middle about Goldberg is usually forgotten. And it's so significant to the whole tale. It really is because Goldberg comes along at just the point where the NWO is suffering for having been around for too long and been diluted and not really understanding what their focus was and actually killing off all opposition to them because Sting had kind of been done by then. 
and then and then and then immersed into the system but goldberg never got you know allured by them in the same way and it's you know i think the goldberg story is is an immense one in terms of business yeah okay so goldberg's in who's next um i've deliberately left off three members of the nwo to finish with to finish with is there anyone else other than those three that you want to talk about absolutely not they're the only ones worth mentioning let me just have a little skim through the list just to make sure we're not doing one ridiculous omission that I don't think we are. I think we also ought to point out that we've not talked about Eric Bischoff, but we're, we're talking wrestlers here, aren't we? And it's like, whatever, well, yeah. you know, I think if we were talking about who was Mr. Monday Night Raw or Mr. WrestleMania or whatever, we wouldn't say Vince. It's kind of a given that, and I think one day we'll do who is Mr. ECW and we won't do Paul Heyman. It's like, I think if, if you're running the company, I think you can't really, you know, when you're talking about Manchester United's greatest players, you know, you go to Bobby Charlton or Eric Cantona and Wayne Rooney, you don't go to Sir Alex Ferguson. I think, you know, he might embody Manchester United, but I think the, what's on the pitch is really the, um, should be the focus. So sure. um, that's why we're leaving off Bischoff, folks, before you get uh, too angry about that. Or even why we're leaving off anyone else that you might want to care for. Maybe, you know, Tony Schiavone or Mean Gene Oakland or whatever. Yeah. Uh, right. I, I would say, I'll, let's go first to Kevin Nash, because I think he's okay. probably the, the lowest of the three in terms of throwing into this, uh, into this five. Um, I just feel like if you're talking NWO, Hogan was the focus. Nash was the first. I'm not uh, sorry. Hogan was the focus. Hall was the first. I'm not for a second saying national wasn't vitally important. He was, he was hugely important to the, uh, to the build of them. Probably had as much charisma as anybody was a booker for a bit, was champion for a bit. It's hugely important in the whole story. We could end up putting all three of these members of the NWO into the five, but I would say of the three, Nash is probably the lowest of them. Interesting. I wouldn't argue too hard on that. I've, I'm not sure. I'm not really sure whether he or Scott Hall is the lowest of the three, but I suppose when I think of Nash, it's an, he's an odd one because he was always there or thereabouts. He had some absolute marquee moments, not the least ending the streak. Um, that was such a pivotal moment and the finger poke of doom and various other bits. But when I think of Nash, I kind of think of the world's biggest supporting player. Um, and I just don't think he was ever the man. They tried to make it so. And, and his presence, I suppose, and his sort of character needs to be judged on how important he was to the main event. I don't think putting him in that mid-card sort of counts towards what he does. You know, he demands to be a main eventer and he really just just wasn't at that tip-top level in WCW for any serious period of time other than when he had the pen. Um, so I find him really easy to discount, actually. Yeah, I, I, I kind of... I don't think I find him easy to discount on the whole. Like, if there was a pass or fail here, he would pass. pass. Yes, of course. But when we're talking absolute, you know, I was going to say A star then, but I'm, th- I'm outdating myself. I'm not sure they have that grading system anymore. But, you know, first class honours, Nash feels like a 2-1. You know, yes. when we're actually trying to get to the, the absolute, you know, actually we're not even doing first class, are we? We're doing an MA here. And it's like, you know, and he's still a, he's still a 2-1 at the, the original level. So I can't have him. But I think the other two are unbelievable um, conversations. You just said that um, to you that, him or Hall could be the bottom of the three. I think Hall is so much more significant to the Nitro story 
for two reasons. One, for the less obvious reason of, I just think there was an era where when the crowds were absolutely red hot and imbibing everything that WCW did, you've got a lot of people that could wrestle a 20-minute match. People would go, oh, yeah, this is jolly good. And Scott Hall could go, Ayo. And the place Mm. went, he could say two words, five letters, and the place went off. And he would do his surveys. And it was just, who got a reaction like that? No one. Now, okay, you could argue that's the NWO and he's the spokesman. Because you could argue Nash is a better talker than Hall. But Hall's Mm. character as the first NWO guy, the first outsider, the the hey yo the 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 um all of that to me I always felt that he was the NWO whatever he was doing was the NWO you know even if it was I split agree. into several factions I know what you he mean, was the he was the heartbeat of the NWO to me and then you factor in the moment which I still think if you were doing Nitro moments number one is Scott Hall leaping the barrier mm. you people you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. Crap impression, but correct words. It changed the world. It utterly, utterly changed the world, the landscape, and led to everything that came beyond it. Without that, if he buggers up that promo, if he does a really poor comedy promo, if they make him get beaten up in the main event, if it's not Kevin Nash that shows up in two weeks' time, it's someone else that's rubbish – it just doesn't work. That whole storyline falls flat and it's dead before the end of 1996. Scott Hall was key to all of that. Plus he yeah. could work his ass off. Obviously he had some, what do we call them in wrestling? Demons. But <laughs> when he was sober and he was on it, he was basically the only one of the higher echelon of WCW, uh, sorry, the NWO that could work. Um, possibly a bit harsh on, on Walkman, but who I don't consider to be at the top level of the group as opposed to being the worker. But I just think everything about Hall was the NWO and that moment, that one single moment of showing up. And once again, I go back to my argument of Nitro being the topic here, not WCW, but Nitro. I feel like week after week after week at the start of the NWO stuff, the outsiders made the NWO, not Hogan. The outsiders made it. It changed from there. But without them, nothing happens. What can I say? Well put. Uh, and I, yeah, I, I think you're on the money there, mate. I, I, remains to be seen whether he makes the five, but I'm writing him down where I'm not writing Nash down. Okay, well, I'll follow it up with another one then, and I'll say this quickly and I'll let you rebut. If we're talking about the five, and we might have both of them in it, but if we were talking about the five, I'd have Hall above Hogan. Go on, this would be good. The Nitro era, absolutely Hogan is important. In fact, he's probably the number one of the Nitro era. But so much of it is pay-per-view. And so much of it is what people talk about Hogan in other other respects. But there's also plenty of bad. The first year or so of Nitro, I suppose I I have argued that importance is more important than good or bad. But the first year of Nitro is completely Hogan-focused, and it's rubbish. It is rubbish until Scott Hall turns up, Nitro, generally speaking. Mm. I also think that so many things happened on pay-per-view. 
whenever you got the yes, the the match with um, Goldberg that you've talked about, that's a very fair um, one to talk about. But so many other things, the Hogan turn, so many other promos, the matches that you think about with Flair and with Piper and with the celebrities and all of that kind of thing. It's all pay per view. All of and and, and so, by the way, rightly so, because you build to that sort of thing. You know, it's a little bit like in the modern era. Brock Lesnar doesn't show up on Raw, but he's about pay-per-views. And and there's lots of others. You know, for years and years, Undertaker wasn't a big Raw guy, but he was on pay-per-views, on WrestleManias and whatever. There's nothing wrong with that as a business model. But when I think Nitro, I just don't think Hogan. I think of other people. I think of other people doing the legwork. And again, that's not a criticism of the business model. It's not a criticism of Hulk Hogan, of Hollywood Hulk Hogan. But to me, he's not Nitro. There are other people that are Nitro before him. As opposed to being WCW in the Nitro era, mate, I can't, I can't, um, I can't agree with any of that. Really, like you know, you you know, it wasn't just the matches that he had. His whole, it, first, firstly, without Hulk Hogan, there is no Monday Nitro because it just they don't get the prime time on TV. That's true. That's, that's, true. A, that, that's a fact. There's no Nitro. Um, secondly, you know, without Hulk Hogan, the outsiders aren't there. In the first place, and this the NWO as a concept is an, is not the strong industry defining nitro fuel that it was. Hogan being part of that, you know, Scott Hall might have been the MVP, man of the match, whatever you want to call it. Hulk Hogan was the guy that made that all so impactful. And you look at it week to week, you're absolutely right with it. The actual matches, the bigger match he had was were on pay per view, but that's not really what. WCW were about at that time. They were more interested in episodic television and the drama that went around that. And Hulk Hogan was front and center of all of that for years and years. And he was in all the main event segments. He was in a number of, you know, largely throwaway matches, admittedly, in main events. But he was the guy that was holding all the dramatic segments, all the big main event segments together for years. Whatever Hogan was doing, was the most important thing on the show, more or less consistently throughout all of Nitro. There's nobody else that, you know, and it wasn't all good, by the way, you know, just as with most people in, in WCW, a lot of it was pretty shitty, to be honest, but it was treated as the biggest deal on the program. And he was doing something practically every single week on Nitro. There weren't many that he missed unless he was filming or whatever else. And he was the absolute lightning rod. Everything else moved around. Um, and let's not forget, you cannot discount the simple fact that he was the leader of the NWO. And every time they did those promos, all those beatdowns every single week, Hogan was right in the center of it. There's no argument in my mind that Hogan is in the five. I'm not necessarily discounting him from the five. I'm just saying that I think that his position is a little bit overstated when it comes to nitro. But I do, I do appreciate everything you've just said there. It's a, it's a very fair rebuttal and I've, I've, I've got nothing to argue what you just said. So I, I, I will, I will, I will climb down from the, uh, the summit to the base camp. It was, it was a, it was a point worth making, but not one I agree with. That's, that's fair. And we've had a couple of them tonight. So, um, right, I think unless there's anyone else that we need to bring into this, we need to do our five. And I think this is going to be, I think this is the easiest one that we'll have to do in terms of having a, a group to pick from. 
Yes. Some SummerSlam matches, we were literally, oh, you know, Christ having we matches that we thought were amazing probably ended up being about number 19 on our list. Mm-hmm. This is You're much easier to pick from, but I feel like we've got seven or eight great candidates. Well, I've written and nine trying down. To get, trying to get two or three off the end is going to be hard. I've got I've got nine. So the ones I've written down over the course of our discussion have been Sting, Ric Flair, Booker T, Lex Luger, Randy Savage, Diamond Dallas Page, Goldberg, Scott Hall, and Hulk Hogan. They're the nine. Um, can we take Flair off? I wouldn't have Flair on. I just don't think Flair's important enough to Nitro. I think he's the kind of one that people would go instinctively knee-jerk Flair, WCW, therefore Nitro. But he's just not important enough to the story. He just isn't. If, when, you, when you talk about all the ones that we've just talked about, you, li- you read a list of nine there. He's number nine on that list of nine. I, I don't disagree. And I think, like I said at the start, I think that's more a reflection on where Flair was. I think if, if that character had been done, you know, it sounds really different and weird and you can't do it in this way. But if he hadn't had all the previous success and profile that he had, we'd look at his contribution to Nitro in a very different way. But the fact is he had had that. He had had that. And you can't take that out of the equation. And it does taint what he did or what he didn't do um, during the Nitro years. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's high high level of competition, but I don't disagree with making him the first one out on this list. Fair. He's gone. Sorry, We're right. down to eight. Any others that you see as easy, <sighs> easy pick-offs? Listen, I gave, a, I gave a very impassioned speech from earlier on, and I meant every word I said. But I do think up against the competition, I think it's hard to argue Luger. Mm. Um. You know, I I am a huge fan of what he did there. The very fact that he showed up on the first one to me is, is significant. But the Luger story is not massively integral. He deserves to be in the top eight that we've got to. But I think but there's no, a better no, argument for, 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 for most of the others, I have to say. And he was the one that I pushed to get into there. Um yeah, I, I think, think I have to fall on my sword a little bit on that one. I, I just think, don't have the conviction to get him into five. I could name you five ahead of him, so therefore I was the one that got him to this stage, therefore I probably am the one to take him out. I think that's about fair. I think I think you've got him as eighth, and I, that feels about right to me, um, which leaves us with two more to take out. So Sting, give Booker, me list Savage, again. Sting, Booker, Savage, DDP, Goldberg, Hall, and Hogan. Let's each pick one to go through no let's let's let right goldberg's in isn't he yeah goldberg's in stings in surely stings in and i would say the other absolute nailed on slam dunker is hulk hogan (laughs) see i obviously don't think that okay well let's come back to that then but that doesn't mean to say that he's not in the five i just don't think he's a slam dunk as i said i would have hall ahead of hogan Okay, right. Well, let's 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 do what we've got. So we've got Sting, Goldberg, in. In. We've got five more guys that need to fill three spots. We've got Booker T, Randy Savage, DDP, Scott Hall, and Hulk Hogan. Uh, I, think Book, I think Booker can go. I do too. Sadly. I love the Booker story, and when we were talking about him quite early in the show, I had him down as oh well, that's going to get in. 
Booker T, modern face of WCW. By the end of it, he was the guy, wasn't he? When WCW ended, Booker T was the guy. You talked about him having two belts. Mm. He feels like the epitome of 2001 WCW because he was the one that came over in the invasion. But his title reigns five times. They do, how important are they? It's at a later Very stage of the company. It just doesn't feel like, like even with like, I think that you could look at, again, if, if we balance up a couple of people, if we look at Booker T and, and Paige, I feel like the Paige story is more organic. It engaged the fans a bit more. It meant more when Paige won the title than it did when Booker did. And then you add in the fact that Paige had, you know, was featured with whatever they might have been like as a, as an, a, a spectacle to watch. Paige was involved with Jay Leno and involved with mm. Carl Malone and Dennis Rodman and David Arquette. And at that point, that meant a lot to the company. We can look at it aesthetically and say it was rubbish, but that showed a lot of commitment in Diamond. How many other people got that commitment other than Hogan? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. And I think that I think that I think if, if you're if you're absolutely pushing me here, and I can't believe I'm saying this about someone I agreed with you strongly earlier. But I think I might, might leave Savage out in order to go with the last three being Paige, Hogan, and Hall. Okay. Well, I think we can agree. We're certainly in agreement on Hall and Hogan. Like, so they they make they make the next two spots. So we're down to one spot, and it's Savage. Paige be Savage. Yeah. Fuck. That's hard. It's really hard. And when you said Savage. I've gone on a roller coaster with Savage. I wasn't convinced I'd have had him in the five before we started. When you brought him up and we discussed him, I thought there was no way I would have go without him. I just cannot find an argument to put him above, certainly not above the four that we've just put in. I know what I said about Hogan. I was largely playing devil's advocate. Clearly, Hulk Hogan, the significance of him to the world of wrestling. Just getting Nitro on the air is probably enough to get him on the list. Mm. Um, I just wonder if you, Savage... I argued very strongly from earlier on. I backed you up. I feel like we're in the point now. It's the, it's the stories. When you talk about the story of Nitro and the moments that make you go back and feel like what, how important they were to the show. And you know what? The fact that you brought up the fact that Savage did not work as many matches as we thought he did. You know, you know, DDP is there from the start wrestling 125 matches. Randy Savage mm -hmm. worked 71. You know, that's a big difference. You know, what, 50-odd yeah. matches, 54 matches different. It is a small part of it, but it is a but. it is a part of it. And I would argue that at the other end of the argument is the moment of doing something. Now, Savage was world champion in the Nitro era. But A, he won it on a, you know, on a bit... It was, he was sort of, I wouldn't say randomly pushed to the top because he was Randy effing Savage. But it was a was it a battle bowl thing or it was a it was a it was a World War Three thing? It was a it was World War Three, I think. Yeah. It was an out of nowhere on pay per view. Could have been anyone. World Championship win in there. I suspect there were other ones later on that have gone out of my mind a wee bit. But to me, the page that wasn't you know Savage got given the belt that it could have been anyone's. Page's rise was this organic thing that people wanted to get behind, 
and I think Paul might have just dropped out for the, the time being. Now, I'll, uh, I'll talk until he comes back. He's not going to hear my argument here, uh, but when he comes back again in just a second, uh, oh, I won't have gone very far. Well, we lost you for a second, mate, but it's, it's, it's not harm the show. left the building. So, <laughs> he thinks I've left, so I don't know which way around this is going to be. Paul, can you hear there me, you sir? Go. I can hear you now, mate. Okay. You think that I went. I think that you went. We'll find out in the final edit what actually happened. But what I'm saying about... <laughs> What I'm saying about Savage and, and Page is really that Page, it just feels like the story along the whole of Nitro about Dallas Page is a better story than the story along all the Nitros about Savage. Page is there for longer. To me, he's there for bigger moments. I go Page over Savage, but uh, I mean, it's with a bit of a heavy heart. I think, I think I echo your words exactly, sadly, with a heavy heart. Like I would, I really want Savage to be in there because I love him to bits. And I think he was massively important and hugely underrated to the, um, to the Nitro story. But I think the reason I want him in there so much is because other people might not. And I think for that reason, I have to, I have to say that DDP was more important. Like, I think your savage, your savage argument is very similar to my Luger one. Probably so. Probably so. But I, don't, I just don't see – if you just sat me down and said, right, Paul, you get to choose the five, um, I, don't see, I don't see there's any, any way I could do that without having Diamond Dallas Page on there. Um, it feels that there has to be one of him or Booker T to tell that coast-to-coast mm-hmm. story, homegrown. Not, I mean, Sting was already a star and remained a star. Goldberg yes. came in as a star and remained a star. But there feels that there needs to be that one – rags to riches bottom to top or at least mid card to top story to take you through that whole um you know route through nitro's history and i just think ddp's is better than booker's um and then savage almost fits into another category if it's the big star coming in from another company i feel like savage's story is not quite as good as hall or hogan's and i think that's really how i end up breaking it down uh yeah i just i just think it's it fits. It fits everything we want to do with this. So I'm. I'm going with that. I'm going with DDP as the last man on this. Done deal. Read us the five back, sir. The five we have are Sting, Diamond Dallas Page, Goldberg, Scott Hall, and Hulk Hogan. That feels right to me. Imagine if that had been the five in the team Oof. in Invasion oh 2001. That's oh probably how we should have framed this from the start. Who should have been in the team? Who should have been oh. the five-man team? Rob. Actually, that would that would change well, slightly. Now. What a good what a good bit of after timing by me. One hour forty-nine minutes into this podcast. <laughs> uh, but, no, but that's think, kind of how we, we can have. look at it, and we can assess it from here and say, would you be happy with that team? What a lineup: Hogan, Hall, Goldberg, Sting, DDP. Some outstanding names that miss out. Savage misses out. Booker misses out. Ric Flair misses out. Lex Luger, the giant, Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio, so many people not quite getting there. It does show what a good lineup WCW had at various times. Certainly feel like it was less less the fault of the wrestlers, more of those in charge to see how it went. Um, this has been a really intriguing, it's a very different podcast to how we uh, have often had it. We've obviously been very WWF centric. It was nice to go off onto a different tangent to look elsewhere, but this is Nitro Week. So do remember, everybody, hookedonwrestling.co.uk. 
for all of your wrestling news and features. But in particular this week, uh, go to, correct me if I'm wrong, Paul, but go to the features tab and click on Nitro and you can see everything that's in there for this week all the way through uh, until Sunday, I believe. Yeah, it's all over the it's all over the homepage at the moment. So there's a lot of stuff you can see, but yeah, anything that, that might have fallen off because we've got a lot to go. Just go features, nick in the features, and you'll see it right there at the top. WCW Monday Nitro week, and you get the lot. So binge on that, guys. It's all there. It's all free, and we'd love to hear your feedback. So um, Nitro week all this week. Hooked on Wrestling.co.uk. If podcast is your thing, because that's why you're here listening to us, stacks of pod. This is a great week to get involved with all of our other podcasts. Because WCW is kind of our flagship WCW podcast, of course, they're taking the lead this week. Uh, because WCW's um, uh, co-host, Dean Ayas, uh, interviewed – you did it with him, didn't you, Paul, with, with Sonny Ono? But it was the uh, – No, I just, I just produced it. Was oh, Dean. you just produced it? Okay. No, so it was – so Dean uh, with Sonny Ono, uh, an interview that was done earlier this week. Uh, we'll have a WCW-themed quiz on Sunday night. Um, broadly, it won't all be WCW, but a broadly Nitro-themed uh, quiz on Sunday night as per normal on the YouTube channel. And various other uh, podcast, uh, what am I saying, website contributors getting involved with all sorts of WCW stuff, Nitro stuff, I should say, uh, throughout the week on the site. It's really good fun. Something a bit different. Um, like Paul said earlier, not the same vibe as the Undertaker weekend, but something very different and much more analytical. I'm really enjoying looking at some of the deeper dives. One of my favourite things I read this week was um, Steve Cox, who many of you know is DJ Stevie from our uh, London live shows, uh, had a look at the first ever Nitro under new eyes because he'd not seen it before or at least yep. uh, hadn't seen it for a very long time. And he looked at it slightly differently. So that was interesting. Um, so there's lots of we've tried to make it different, not just the same old you know, things about Nitro that everyone's done before. We're trying to, we're covering old ground, but some new stuff as well. Um, please join us again here next week for another edition of How To Be Great, where we'll be taking on another different topic. Uh, if you want to find out first what the topic is, the quiz is a good place to join us on Sunday night. That's usually where we reveal what the topic is going to be. So we'll do that on Sunday night. And remember that you can vote. We've narrowed it down to five. We have given you five that we have wrestled with to get here now you get to choose the number one are you going to surprise us last time we thought brett v bulldog would walk it we thought that sean versus triple h might come second they came third and fifth what are you going to do this week are you going to go with the the argument that uh, i said that hogan's not as important as he could have been are you going to uh, eschew that and vote him clearly to number one because he's the big star are you in, in, enraptured by ddp story is sting the franchise is scott hall's debut enough to get you through or is the impact that Goldberg made halfway through Nitro's era uh, the biggest thing for you you are it's up to you hooked on wrestling.co.uk forward slash vote to air your opinion please do share the word as well to get others bigger uh, um, bigger amount of people voting as possible because it gives a better uh, indication of what people think as Paul says the voting's been getting higher and higher uh, and in fact last time it was the third highest we've, we've had uh, for the SummerSlam topic. So over the last few weeks, we've certainly had some high voting tallies. Paul, it's been another good fun podcast. I know you're exhausted and need to get on to uh, finish a few <laughs> things off tonight before firing back up again tomorrow. So I'll leave it with you to uh, give any uh, final words before I wrap this baby up. Yeah, no, it's just, really just a big thank you, mate. Thank you for spending the time, as always, to to hold this thing together, especially now. I've, I've been running on fumes tonight, and you've done a wonderful job in holding my hand through it. So thanks, Lan. You know, listeners, 
yeah, if ever you if ever you have any doubts about Rob's skill, he has basically just done tonight the wrestling equivalent of having a uh, a five star match with a broomstick. Um, <laughs> so. So thanks for that. And obviously, thank you guys for listening. What I, what I would like to say is, you know, we've got a lot of people who've been listening to us for a long time now, which is amazing. If you could, we would love to to get some reviews. So if you're on Apple Podcasts or whether you're not or whatever, wherever you listen to this podcast, head to Apple Podcasts if you can, but anywhere else will do. Um, leave us a review. Leave us a five star if you like us enough. Really, really helps a massage our ego but b help us grow the audience so please 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 do that and um we will love you even more than we do now yes algorithms i don't know that 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 fella algorithm he's a lovely bloke uh but we don't understand how his brain works so yes subscriptions are good especially on podcasts and likes are good especially on youtube channels you figure out how exactly it works but uh, uh that is a great way of supporting us um we 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 haven't been with you on this podcast since SummerSlam. Uh, so it is worth thanking everybody who joined us for the SummerSlam extravaganza, call it what you will, the SummerSlam Spectacular. If you haven't seen it and you don't know what I'm talking about, it is on our YouTube channel still, and I believe on Facebook, Paul, correct me if I'm wrong, um, but people can see the four-hour build-up that we did to SummerSlam. They with, can indeed. With um, Diana Hartsmith, who was obviously very well-known from being in the middle of that match between Brett and Davy Boy at WrestleMania. We did a watch-along of the match with Davy Boy's kids, Harry and Georgia. We had Martin Goldsmith, the promoter uh, of the SummerSlam 92 show. Uh, we had B. Brian Blair, who is the main man from Cauliflower Alley Club, who we raised some money for. And I won't spoil some of the other surprises, but at least another three or four surprise guests that dropped in during the night to talk wrestling with us, to talk SummerSlam with us uh, and have some general fun. Plus, there's a quiz in there as well. We had a blinding night, uh, raised some money, got some awareness out there. It was one of the best things we've ever done. It was an absolute joy. So we have, since we haven't spoken to you since then on this podcast, it's only right to check in with those of you that saw it to say thank you. And those of you that haven't, you can still go and check it out. You will still get plenty of value out of it, even though SummerSlam has been and gone. That's enough for us for this week. Uh, tune into the quiz on Sunday. Keep having a look at the stuff on Nitro Week and be back here next week for another How to Be Great, where each week I am obligated to remind you that this is wrestling. So enjoy it. We'll see you very soon.